What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Who did it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? Are you being realistic? As the story grows. Who's in, no one's down there wearing a dinner jacket of some kind or some weird, like, dress coat. No one is red, even on this Like floor. a burgundy red coat-ish no. thing. It was, it, 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 no, I didn't no, one, no one's, no one's even on this floor of the house. Dude, I didn't get a face. I just saw a walk by, and I thought, someone's in the room with you. And I'm like, who's wearing a stupid coat um, like that? As a matter of fact. And it was not your kids. Okay. It was, like, an adult-sized person. As a matter of fact. I stood up, the laptop is still facing my chair, which is against the wall, so you can't even walk where this is. You'd what? be, falling, Dude, you'd be falling over. You're freaking me out. Shut up. Knock it off. Uh, that is really weird. Right. Okay. Bought, Are you uh, just blowing me off? Yeah, I'm ignoring the fact that there might be a ghost with a dinner jacket in my studio. And we're not talking about it. I refuse to, because if he's in here, I don't want to pay attention to him. I just want to ignore him. Are you like? Are you creeped out right now? A little bit, because there's no way. There's no way. There's no way anybody could have walked past. You're full. Oh my god, dude! I'm totally making a joke up, man. That's so great. I know you are. You were like straight up, like freaked out, though. Good. That was. Are you recording? Are you getting this? Your breath Mm -hmm. smells so much like I can pick it up through the internet. (laughs) From two hours away, I got catch me if you can. <sighs> Wait, what are you what are you talking about right now? These are the, the movies that I picked up at a uh, at a yard sale. And so like a buck, I, yeah, I picked up like I got like a dozen movies for a, or ten bucks or something. Like that. These are DVDs, um, not Blu-rays. DVDs, not Blu-rays. Correct. That one, that one is uh, okay. I remember liking that movie. I give that a pass. All right, Spielberg. All right. Um. Hang on, there's more in here. I'm looking, I'm looking. Wow. In between each each how many how many are we are we going through? Twelve? <laughs> <laughs> Episode's over. We got to the twelfth one. Oh dude, the great outdoors. Excellent movie. Thank you, thank you. Uh Gross Point Blank. Uh yes. 
Ooh, I'm gonna lose. I'm gonna lose cool points for this yeah, one. Yeah, I'm keeping. I'm keeping score here. You're uh, at the three, three and zero right now. Hitch starring uh, Will Smith. Yeah, that's on the bad list. You suck. Yeah, that's on my wife's list, so she sucks. I, you know what? I don't buy that. I think you you secretly watch these things, and your wife hates them. I've seen Hitch twice because my wife wanted to watch Hitch, and I was like, "All right, it's on." So I've you sat- probably watch Pitch Perfect by yourself. Oh, I have that right here. I bought High Fidelity, but I, I already owned High Fidelity, so now yeah. I own two copies. You know I'll what? I'll take it. Oh, you don't have it? No. I was going to recommend that we give it away to one of the listeners, but screw him. He can have we it. Can, we can do that, too. Okay, no, so, screw him. So we got, we're got we up to five. Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Uh, for the price, okay. Yeah, Maybe only because I haven't seen it. I heard it's, it's kind of it's, it's dumb. It's like... I, you, it's like Terrible, but but like, it's part of the Indiana Jones. So for like fifty cents, exactly. I bought it for a dollar. I rented it. I bought it for cheaper than I can rent it. Okay. The Mexican with uh Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts. It's almost like a romantic, funny caper movie or something. It was okay. It was whatever. Like the Muppet caper. Better because there's Mexicans in it. Um, I'd rather watch Muppets. No offense to Mexicans. No Mexican. Like, I'd rather watch best. Muppets than, than even white people. Like Mexican Muppets, best. Uh, Milk with Sean Penn. <laughs> it's good. It's good for what it's what it's telling. I think it's about like a, the first openly gay senator or something like that. Mm-hmm. I heard it's a great movie. I just I don't know. Again, it was a buck. That's, that's, that's an important movie for you, okay? Because I'm gonna run for Congress. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what I meant. This is our show, ladies and gentlemen. I know. Saving Silverman. Love it. I have a bunch of people that terrible tell me how movie, funny but it. love it. It's yeah. really funny. I hear a bunch of people telling me that it's like an awful movie. You have to see again. It was a buck. Yeah, the Simpsons movie. Okay, I mean, it's like pointless to own, but like, yeah, exactly. It's good. It's like watching a good, good. I just wanted, movie. I just wanted an audio version of Spider Pig. Um, mm. Short Circuit. Love it for the kids. Number right? five, alive. No, kill Johnny Five. Thelma and Louise. I never watched it, but I always wanted to see it. I know it's a good movie. It's directed by uh, Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. This one, this one, this movie I've never even heard of before. Halle, Halle Berry and Benicio del Toro in a dramatic movie called "Things We Lost in the Fire." Mm. I've never even heard of that movie, but Benicio del Toro is—I mean, I've never seen him not be amazing, even when he's in a bad movie. It sounds sexy. Sounds sad, actually. But I don't know. Again, it was a dollar. Train spotting. <laughs> How do you not? How do I? How did I not own that? I hate it. It's it's a good movie, but I hate it. It's like it reminds me of when like I was hanging out with people who partied too much. Mm, okay. Wedding Crashers. <laughs> yes, I, I. That's a movie I'd watch more than once. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Or whatever. And then you, last but not least, you're crossing the mic. Yeah. I, oh, I hear it. It's terrible. It's very annoying. I'm trying to get the the cherry out of the bottom. Sorry. Out of the bottom of what your ice, your, it, you're in your freezer and you're digging through all the ice cubes. <laughs> and then, uh, last but not least, I'm very curious to hear what you say about this one. Year one, you've done looks, a lot better with Saving Silverman. It looks like the worst movie ever it made. It's so not funny. I tried to watch it. I got Is about it really. So you- I rented. I rented. I spent like four dollars on it at Blockbuster back when the ancient Blockbuster was charging over four dollars a rental and 
I I believe it it was Blockbuster. It was it was a rental that cost more than a dollar. Let's put it that way. And I remember I watched about fifteen minutes of it and I turned it off. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going bad. to waste my money. Yeah. You rented it for four dollars. I own it for less than a dollar, and I can choose to turn it off and never touch it again, or use it as a coaster for my drink. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's that's how I did at the yard sale. Great. That's awesome. I did good. Clean. I cleaned up for a couple bucks. Cool. Is that really our intro? Uh, it can be. Give us some kind of an intro. We'll do it live! We have a, a very special guest with us uh, this week for the ninth chapter. We're going to be talking to the guy behind Fake Chapter. I've been sitting on that nugget for a while. Um, yeah, it sounded rehearsed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wrote that down on my hand. And I'm starting to sweat through it, so it's all running down my arm. Um, Michael Gilligan is on the podcast with us tonight. How you doing, Gil? How are you? So, I mean, that's a great introduction. I'm sure uh, someone's going to just stay tuned to listen to me talk for an hour after that introduction. If they're smart, they will, because yeah. this guy has been doing this, the exact thing that we talk about on this podcast. I know that you just listened to the first episode recently just to kind of acquaint yourself with what I'm doing, but yeah. me, and Gil, knowing, me and Gil have known each other for a while, and um, dude runs his own label and has been doing it for, help me out, 18 years? Uh, uh, yeah, or 19 will be, uh, my first release came out on a November 11th, 1996. And, Look at that. Wow. And, you know it was old because it was a split cassette tape with one wow. band on side A and another band on side B. That is delicious. That's yeah. awesome. That, that's, and who were they? I miss it. Who was your maiden voyage? Yeah, so I was a, f- a sophomore in college. Um, so side B was my roommate in college, high school, like brothers band. Okay. So they were on the they were they were you know uh, sight unseen or whatever and you know they just I was like they can have side B that's fine. <laughs> um, and side A was this band called the Pushovers from Philadelphia, right? Uh, hmm. Which was a very good actually uh, band that I just knew through the internet. The internet at that time existed, but it was really like um, AOL. Wow. Uh, yeah. Message board. Yeah. Message boards groups, and I knew them from a. Pepito's folder, which was just a message board group on the internet. That is amazing. Oh my god. Seth W. right now is nerding out and doing cartwheels. You are talking his line. He talks about that, the old days with that stuff all the time. Yeah, that's all it was. I mean... My, my wife and I, we weren't married at the time, but uh, our first computer was an e-machine, and I remember buying it in 1997. I didn't even own a computer until after you were putting out split cassettes. How about that? Well, it was, it was oh, wow. kind of the same for me. I, I went to college in, 
95, so the label was my sophomore year, 96. Um, and that was the first time email or I had an email address or anything like that uh, before that. And I, I kind of have a weird crossover because I'm the youngest uh, in my family. So I think of technology, I think, like a little older than my years because I just think of the technology that my brothers and sisters had. So when I think of computers, like I think of like the Commodore computer that we had right. in our house. Like that, oh, yeah. I go, you know, back to that. So AOL was, yeah, I was already in college with an email address at Rowan uh, University and then came home and said, hey, we should get AOL or something because I need to stay in touch with my friends now over email. So, uh, Wow. I didn't get internet until 1999. Wow, that, that definitely was a, a holdout then, for sure. And what's weird is I thought it, that was like the year of the internet. Like everyone seemed to be getting it then. And when I was watching Seinfeld once, re, you know, within the past year, one of the reruns, I saw um, an episode they were talking about it. I think the episode was like 95. And I was like, really? The internet was, was out back then? I couldn't even, I didn't even realize it. I'll tell you what, the first time I ever heard the internet. I was up uh, applying to go to uh, community college, and uh, I would have started in the fall semester of '93. So somewhere during the spring of '93, my senior crazy. in my senior year, I went to Lehigh Carbon, Lehigh County Community College at the time. Now it's Lehigh Carbon, and I remember her saying that um, we have this, we have that. She's trying to woo you in, you know, and she said we have the internet, and I was like, what's what's the internet? And I remember her saying, well, the best way to describe it is. Um, Basically, all the f all the computers in the world are eventually going to be connected by a phone line, and they'll be able to talk to each other. And I was like, "Well, good for them." <laughs> I didn't even yeah. understand what she was saying. I was like, "Oh, yeah." I, like even hearing that description, I'm like, "I would never know what that means." Yeah, I was like, "That sounds great." Uh. Yeah, and she was almost right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But um, but yeah, no. But things just take a while. To catch on, I mean, same with cell phones; they were around for a while, but it it it, it didn't start changing people's lives. And it's funny you mentioned Seinfeld. Uh, every Seinfeld episode plot would be destroyed by the existence of cell phones if they had them, because then they would just be able to find each other and not be worried about where their car is parked or all the like the stupid Seinfeld yeah. episodes. Yeah, oh it's funny. Call them off on the cell phone and we figure it out. You just blew my mind. I never even thought. Yeah, of that. seriously. Wow. Thank God. Thank God we got that show when we did, Ben. Exactly. Um, you just ruined Seinfeld for me. Oh. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> ruined Seinfeld. David, Larry David would have figured something else out, obviously. Right. But, um, he would have. He would have placed it in the seventies or eighties or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But and that was kind of the same thing because you know it, it was a weird time to start a label, obviously because I was eighteen and I was an idiot and all that reasons, but, um, you know, the internet was around, but it wasn't playing its real hold on the industry yet, and we were still doing, like, I was still getting, in fact, you know, in, in my book, which I'm, we'll talk about, like, the beginning of it was all, like, letters and demos that I got in the mail. I mean, that was still the first, you know, it took at least six or seven years where I got to the point of today where now everyone just emails me their, their song or their mm -hmm. demo. Before it was still actual letters in the mail, uh, packages yeah. like handwritten notes, like "Dude, this is my CD. Like, please find me." Like Ugh. that was like that. Even with the internet and email around, it's it just the transition took a long time. And even with when Napster came out and everything, it still took a long time yeah. for the internet to really take over and and destroy the industry as it has today. Wow. 
oh my god, it's so refreshing and cool to talk about that era. I'm a I'm a '90s guy for life. I just everything about it was just wonderful, and just the growth and the internet and finding shows. I remember going online, and I couldn't. I didn't. I didn't understand how any of this worked. I just know that if I go on and I ask my computer where stuff is, it'll tell me with this magic thing called a search engine. So I remember. <laughs> I remember. I couldn't find. I couldn't figure out where a show was, and I was into like heavier stuff and everything. I'll never forget the day that I typed "local hardcore" into my search engine. <laughs> it backfired on me. Uh, it's a good thing to uh, yeah, you found out who was doing porn in your neighborhood. <laughs> it's a good thing. It, it's a good thing those pictures took forty-five minutes to upload because I, you know, I was like, oh, whoa, 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 as, as the picture, as the it was like unpixelating and everything. I was like, whoa, that's not the show I was going trying to go see. But uh, <laughs> and, and you, fi- you finally found the show and you printed out your MapQuest directions <laughs> to get there and yes, you never got there because it said make a right on like Smith Street and that you can never find Smith Street. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and you were pissed. Awesome. You were pissed because ink costs seven hundred thousand dollars a cartridge, and the yeah. first thirteen steps of the of the directions was just to get to Route Twenty Two, which is right there. Yeah, and I, I could have just skipped all that if I know how. Yeah, man, I remember those and, days. And it always brought you into the ghetto, no matter where you were going. <laughs> MacWest always brought you into the ghetto. Didn't matter. Yeah. I, I got you this far. You're in Philly. Good luck. Ugh. Back in two thousand, when uh my band went on a, a, a na- national tour. Um, the the record label handed us a trapper keeper with uh, uh, the maps to, to connecting to each yeah. date in a giant like heavy book. There was probably like a hundred pieces of paper in that thing, and it was literally just the just terrible pixelated googled maps, you know, printed out on his you know on his on his printer, and and we're we're the the directions were terrible. We missed literally missed shows because. We could not find the venues oh. because they were just these pieces of paper, and we had no cell phones. So we couldn't. <laughs> yeah. we, we would pull over to a payphone, and we would like, you know, gather up change to try to ca- call our record label at two in the morning because we could not figure out where the hell we were. And it, it's amazing, like just you know, you guys talking about the old days and stuff. GPS and iPhones would have made a huge difference. (laughs) It would be so amazing to be touring now with with. I think kids are so spoiled. They go on tour these days, man. They have no idea what it was like touring with maps and papers printed out. It was it was a totally different system back then. Just having that conversation with my son, I I was just I swear to you, I was telling him this earlier today. I was like, you kids never existed in the time that 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 there wasn't texting. I remember texting people about your birth, like it, it was. It's always been for you. Can you even fathom yeah. what communication would be like without your phone? Yeah. And he just looked at me with this blank stare, like I just started talking yeah. Latin. He was like, "Uh, no." Like he doesn't even. He can't even wrap his head around not having texting. I remember my mom trying to explain to me old technologies that I never got to experience and stuff, and I used to look at her the same way. And I and it sucks because we're going to totally be those people. Oh, I know. You know trying I know. to describe, you know, just w- when phones were in the in the wall, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that is funny. I mean, but I think that was the appreciation of the tour band because it really was. Um, I, I know so many musicians that you know we've talked stories. I never really toured much, but um, you know, like you said, the the van breaks down. No one has a cell phone. They have to try yeah. to call the venue and all that. 
and that's why when you went to a show and this and the band went on stage and they're like, you know, hey, you know, we're from Wyoming, you'd be like, oh shit, yeah, like you know, I'm gonna buy yeah. a seven inch, like I gotta support these guys. Yeah. Now when it when they say that, you're just like, oh, who cares? They suck. I'm not. I know. Care. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because you know it, it got spoiled both ways. The fan got now is spoiled with that. They're like, well, you know, like it's hardly a struggle. Dad probably rented the band for him, so who cares? <laughs> I remember playing right. um, the Cornerstone Festival, uh, Gil, the, the the huge Christian music festival out in Bushnell, Illinois, which is four hours away from any major city. It's just out in a wheat field somewhere. And uh, I remember punching the supposed box address for this 600-acre field into the GPS, and it completely removed the adventure of the trip because it was like you get up to Route 80, turn left, stay on that for... Four states, you know, and, and yeah. literally was like, uh, you know, your destination is ahead on the left, and there it was, and I was like, okay, that wasn't, it was just, oh, okay, we followed our directions, and we're here now. It really wasn't, yeah. there was no thrill of, oh man, where are we? For me, if it's a big Christian fest, the, the thrill would begin when I stick when I got there, though. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> You're being sarcastic, aren't you? Well, I always think of the great King of the Hill line of of was it Hank Hill? You're gonna quote uh, your book. You're gonna quote your book. Oh, okay. did I put this in the book? I'll read. I'll read it to you right now. You saw. Oh, I didn't even realize I put that in the book because yeah. it is a great quote that I. It just is a loved. great quote. It's hilarious because all of us Christian musician guys all laughed at it when we heard it. Uh, I can't find it. It was classic. Oh, yeah, because, I can just say because... it's. Go ahead. Go it's ahead. It's just the classic. Uh, don't you know? You're not making religion better. You're just making rock and roll worse. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. true for a lot of a lot of bands. Um, the, the Cornerstone was interesting because it had it had a, uh, you know, we're talking. Um, I mean, sixty thousand people, and we're talking about like twenty, thirty stages, and uh, everyone who was in a band tried their luck there, got, went there and played a generator show or played on a, actually got on a stage. So you're talking a, a huge wealth of good music, regardless of whatever they were singing about, good music, and then you had like, you know, just like just like any the Christian or none. You know, any music festival with 60,000 people, you're going to have 100 shitty bands, and you're going to have, like, 10, 12 awesome bands. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how it was there. You had, to, you, had to, you had to, like, chew on the fat and spit out the bones with, with, mm -hmm. with all the bands that were coming and going. Definitely. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we, we definitely know that, that... Then that South Park episode, when... when uh, uh, Change Jesus were, the baby? Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, the, they, they touch on religion a, very, a lot of times, but the particularly the episode where they tried to do Faith Plus One. They tried to do their own Christian rock band uh -huh. so that it would sell millions of dollars. And uh, they went to that music festival and that, that punk rock band came up and they were like, we're sanctified! Like, that was kind of like, that kind of hit home for me because I was at Cornerstone so many times. <laughs> and that was exactly what you see there. Guys like that. You know, punk rock, hardcore lyrics about Christ. You know. That was funny. Yeah. Change baby to Jesus. Well, yeah, wasn't that from that episode? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, it's also like it had a heyday, and whenever music, any genre, has attention drawn to it, then just crap bands follow. I mean, yeah. it's just, there's just no denying. And that's also one of the big downsides of the industry today with the, with the access of the internet is that the level of mediocrity um, just rises so much because it's oh, so yeah. easy. 
<coughs> be out there. And then not only that, but then they stay out there longer. Um, yep. Yeah. They don't get filtered away, and and that's you know. And of course, you know, some people look at my label and say I contribute to that, but obviously I would disagree. But that is the um, the crutch of binge. It's so easy. Just like you know. I mean, it used to be where if you made a record and it did horrible, you didn't make another one. Right. You know? <laughs> now it's like, yeah. well, who cares? Like, we're just going to put it out on iTunes anyway. We're, we're gonna right. Make, we're just going to keep buy it ourselves. This, go well, to disc makers and make the CD. Like, it doesn't, you know, matter anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you like, know. It's a blessing and a curse, though, because th then there's, like, those bands that, like, put out a great record and, like, 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 say you put out an album from a band and, like, it's an amazing record, and you know it, and the band knows it, and the fans know it. Arms and Sleepers. But for some reason, it doesn't sell. Yeah. So there's like, there's no financial reason to support them for a second one, but you know that they deserve a second one. So it's kind of like, there's some for the internet. I would say it's like a blessing and a curse because like sometimes it helps bands like in those situations, but at the same time, there's also like every twelve year old kid who thinks he can play his instrument now can promote himself as a band and not even have to work. Oh yeah, I mean there's no there's no doubt that the for me the internet and the music industry has been nothing but positive. Um, I have albums like you said that didn't maybe sell well or they're really old or the band doesn't exist anymore or the band toured and can't, you know, it's still around but can't tour like they used to or what have you. I'm still on iTunes. I'm still out there side by side with um, other bands. I mean, back in when I started, I had to like go to record stores, go to Sam Goody, and um, try to like convince them to carry my record to put it somewhere like decent, you know, like yeah, not yeah. in the back. And you know, now I don't, I don't have that problem anymore. And as a result, records that I put out like ten years ago still you know, have a relevance. When I look at the revenue and the statements that are coming in, I still see, like, I still see traction. I still see, yeah. and that wouldn't, you know, obviously didn't exist. But, um, so for me, it's been mostly positive, for sure. Um, but when you look at the industry as a whole, obviously, it's been mostly negative. Yeah, it's like, in the gaping world, open, <laughs> the open mouth of the internet, good things are like, an island, you know, <laughs> and like all of the ocean around it is all the negative that's part of it. You know, the small bit of good is getting bigger, but the big level of bad is also getting bigger, you know. Yeah, and it's just harder to be in the middle. Like, uh, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, uh, the political analogy of like, you know, the middle class, you know, the destroying of the middle class. I mean, that's kind of how it is with bands. I mean, think of in the 90s, all those bands that sold like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand records and were very like, you know, good, respectable bands. Mm -hmm. Those are the bands that, that are hurt the most because um, they can't sell those kind of records anymore. So now they're kinda of calling that in between of like they don't make the money of the major labels. They can't be on a major label anymore. And then back in the indie world, like, you know, they struggled now they have to be um, supported by the same fans over and over again and some bands can do it I mean obviously things like Kickstarter and what have you have a platform where that 5% of their fans can support the whole thing by being such passionate fans but not every fan uh, band in that era like in that um, you know level you know has that kind of fan base so it kind of goes into where it's like the bands that are getting supported are either the low-end bands that are new up-and-coming 
or you know the super high end bands and then, and then the bands that just are consistent making records yeah every year are, are seeing those sales just go down and down and, and, and making it harder of a struggle um, and also you mentioned arms and sleeper which is one of the bigger bands off my label um, you know they've been around since 2006 uh, full time they don't have day jobs I was at their uh, first show oh yeah that's right you were yeah um, and you know don't have day jobs they're leaving for Russia to tour uh, tomorrow I think um, get out of here really Oh, he, well, they do like 100, 200 shows a year. They can't stop. Wow. This is how, how they make money. They can only make money this way. And they even just did a Kickstarter. I think it's still, it's, it's been funded, but I think you can still donate. Um, it's just like a 10 grand Kickstarter, just not for anything specific, just because, you know, keep them going kind of campaign. And they got it funded because they have a tremendous fan base. Um, but again, you're still talking about like a fan base of, you know, like 5, 10% of their fan base trying to fund the whole thing and you know it's a struggle for them and there's no doubt that if they came out instead of 2006 if they came out in 96 that you know they would be much better off because in these last 10 sure, years they've, sure. they've worked their ass off to get to this point and right. they just would have seen better results in that era and you know uh, it's a shame I mean but at the same time I mean they're there's been a few great eras of music. I mean, you know, before, if you go back to before pre-recorded music and everything, I mean, you had great artists, uh, you know, um, you know, playing for their meal. I mean, you have, uh, um, was it Robert Johnson, the great blues artist who, like, played at somebody's house and then choked on chicken bone and that's how he died like at 27 years old or whatever the story is you know I mean like there's you know if you look at the course of history you know there's not a lot of great errors where musicians had it had it good you know mm -hmm. yeah really so you you came out in the mid 90s ish yeah and obviously you were in, influenced by the early 90s you know model of everything that was going on you were you were already set up one way and you had to cross that bridge Basically, probably, I would I would assume, change your whole game around to survive. I mean, how? That's an assumption, of course. But I mean, obviously, from a band standpoint, I mean, I, I felt the I felt the 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 change of being a band in 1999 and being a band in 2002, you know, or 2001, when it really started to become a like a, like everything, like MySpace, and like everything started becoming full-on digital and, you know, getting rid of the old model. I would say, yeah, 2002 or more. What are some of the things, um, when you went through that, how you how you managed to even function? And did you see that coming? And did it, did it kind of take you back a bit when all that hit? Yeah, I mean, again, for my label, that transition was has been mostly positive because, well, for, for the most part, I still basically do what I've always... <coughs> done for a band. You know, I'm still doing the traditional role of helping put out the record, distribute the record, market the record. I mean, that hasn't, you know, that basic role hasn't changed. The physical but, copies and all that stuff. Yeah, and, you know, the, the, for me, like, the big plus is, again, is that, um, you know, the distribution was the big turnaround for me. Right. You know, like I, like I said, I didn't, you know, I had records on consignment and then the record store would go out of business and owed me money and all that kind of stuff. You know, like I don't have to deal with any of that anymore. I have, you know, besides the fact that also I got, you know, as my label grew, I had more, a little more cloud and could have better distribution and that kind of thing. 
But, you know, that was the big turn for us. It's like, all right, we have distribution set. It's out there. It's out there everywhere. It's on Amazon. People can find the record. Now let's, let's not, you know, so much energy was put on making it legit. Like, yes, you can go to this record store and it's there. Like, you know, making it legit. Now it's like it was automatically legit. It's, it had, you know, it was released. It had a barcode. It looked exactly like the CD by the major label. You know, had mm. the same kind of artwork, same quality, you know, and it, it was everything the same. So we didn't have to try to, like, legitimize ourselves. So we can go right to marketing. We can go right to trying to promote the record. Um, but then the big shift, and, and, and this would probably be more for the bands to answer is that now suddenly though there's so much to take care of on the marketing side that it becomes like a full-time job mm -hmm. for the bands you know, you know no longer can a band just worry about being in a band like somebody in the band has to be the business person has to like you can't um, <laughs> survive that without having somebody um, really smart I mean they are arms and sleeper again I mean one of the reasons why they're my most successful group is not only because their music is so good but because Mirza is smart as hell, <laughs> you know, I mean, if he was stupid, they would not be as popular. Right. I mean, there's just no way around it. Back then, it, you know, it, there was a time when that didn't matter. You, you know, I mean, you know, is, uh, you know, are, are Van Halen smart? Like, I don't know. I mean, I doubt it. You know, you know, I mean, like, it didn't matter because you could have <laughs> uh, a manager and a, there was a machine that could work and there was enough money to go around. Right. And now there's not enough money going around, so you can't just build a team. You have to be... You know, um, communicating to your fan directly. Mm -hmm. You have to be on on Twitter. You have to be on Facebook, producing content, uh, marketing the record. So it becomes. So even though it was great that we could focus on that immediately, we didn't have to focus on a lot of the um, hangups of the old world. Um, it's just that now this world is so big that it's it's overwhelming. Yeah, everybody needs a Lars. Yeah, I mean, but that's true, though. I mean, without Lars, you know, where would Metallica be? Um, it, 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 they would be still a great band, of course. I mean, they, you know, things wouldn't have changed, and if he was a horrible drummer, they wouldn't have kept him. Right. But um, you, can't, you can't be a, a successful group right now without having somebody, you know, in that business. And I guess some bands are still lucky that they get a manager early on, and that manager can take that role. Right. But most bands, you know, won't have that luxury and even with me on board you know you have label support I can't do that I mean I you know I do as much as I can and, and the band has to do the rest right hmm. excellent point I like that um real quick before we go any further because we're going down the pike of like um when you started to develop and become a, a you know a label and get momentum and everything you used to be called chapter 11 records didn't you? <laughs> yes well yeah when I started um <laughs> I was, you know... I like I was, this story. I know this story, and I'm sending you... I'm just volleying it to you. I like yeah, this story. Um, I mean, it's kind of funny because... It is funny. Um, you know, because it, it kind of does feed into our internet uh, and, and um, you know, thing. Because, you know, 96, I go, all right, I'm going to start a label. Chapter 11, bankruptcy. That's fine. Right. Let's do it. So I um, did it the right way. I incorporated day one and when you go through the incorporation process you have to I got to go to the county clerk office and fill out these forms and they do it like in a check to make sure that there's no other chapter 11 records and all that kind of stuff 
And so I was in business for a while before then all of a sudden I got an email from a Chapter 11 Records in California that started like eight months before me. And they're very more punk and just as seven inches in California. Mm -hmm. And it took us forever to like learn about each other because the internet was out there. So we, it eventually made us learn about each other. But then also I ignored it at first when they, you know, because they just sent me an email and I'm just like, yeah, who cares? Um, and then <laughs> so it was like another year before they started like harassing me with emails. And every email ended with sincerely the real Chapter 11 records. So, um, so eventually, you know, and it kind of was when I was leaving college too. So this is 1999 when I was leaving college. So it kind of felt like a time to, I don't, I don't want to use the term rebrand the label, but it was kind of like a, time, a transition where I felt like it was maybe, um, I don't know, it, it just felt right to like kind of re, redo everything, kind of start fresh. So I, I couldn't think of a name, but I, I went with Faith Chapter 11 Records and just, you know, dropped the 11 um, because of their email signatures saying sincerely the, the real chapter 11. So, <laughs> oh, so that's how that's fake funny. chapter came to be. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually happy about it now because chapter 11 was, you know, it was funny at first and got less funny, uh, you know. Uh, right. I would have grew out of the name. So, and fake chapter has no meaning then, so you know I'll never grow out of it. And then, of course, now I do that little play on words of musicisfake.com and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, so it worked out well, but it was... Um, and then my logo still has the 11 in it. Uh, right. it's, it's the original I'm logo. I'm staring, at, I'm staring at it right now, and it just got, yeah, yeah. It's got a big fake stamp over it. It looks really funny. I like. I yeah, like it. usually, like, the original logo was kind of like a converse, uh, like, ripoff. Because uh, it was right. actually inverted, it was the it was white with the black ink. So okay. I just flipped the colors and put a red stamp on it, and that was the logo that I still use today. Because I'm too lazy to try to devise a new one. Is the real Chapter Eleven record still in existence? Absolutely not. They lasted another year or two, which is another good metaphor, I How guess, of, of my successes. I mean, the only reason why I've been around for 19 years and have put out 50 releases because I'm I just haven't stopped like there's no um, like the secret of my success is that I, I like too stupid to give up like I just <laughs> I could just keep trying and they obviously you know because you don't make money doing this and every once in a while you get a good hit and that kind of pays for the next year or two and then it kind of dries up and then you know there's so many different points where you can just say like ah, you know like this is not gonna Work mm -hmm. out, and that's obviously what happened to Chapter Eleven. And right, is that they made a bad record, it didn't sell, and they were like a thousand in the hole, and they were just like, "All right, like you know, we're done with this shit." Um, and that could have happened. Like that, to, like that House Lights album. Yeah, I mean that House Lights album was a financial disaster, but <laughs> just uh, you know, forced through it, and um, and that's how it is. Perhaps we should promote it now. <laughs> oh, shut up! Well, it's, it's yeah, go to Spotify. It's out there. We need a penny. We need a penny for a thousand plays. Spotify. Oh man! I think I knew that entire story except for the fact that they used to sign it the real Chapter Eleven records. That's that's even funnier. I didn't know. That, that. Yeah. In fact, I think I put out. Uh, well, I know I put out a comp CD, but um, part of the artwork, I'm pretty sure, was a, was one of their emails with that signature. <laughs> on it, um, I, I can't. I can't remember for sure, but it was definitely an email from somebody 
It might have been one of the bands, so maybe it didn't have the real Chapter 11 on it. It might have been just one. Because one time I had a, a one of their bands would email me and just say, like, you your label fucking sucks. Their label is cool, so why don't you just drop dead kind of emails. Good. And and I print, yeah, so one of them is artwork on my on one of my CDs, yeah. Ridiculous. Stick it to the man. Stick it to him. So, um, so oh, go ahead, Steven. How much of this is about your love of the music itself and... You know, um, obviously you care about it because you're you're doing this. But when it gets to a point where it's like, you know, we need to sell this music to a certain audience to to make a certain amount of money, or we can't do it anymore. You know what I mean? Or you know, you got these bands that get on there. They just want to do their music. They don't want to care about what the label tells them to do. You know, and it turns into like more of a store than it does a you know the music and the art and all that sort of stuff. I guess my question is really like. From a record label standpoint, what do you think about art and its place in, you know, or, you know, people expressing their music and their passion in a business model? It's the, really it's the same question that that has been from from day one: is how do we monetize this? How do we make money? Um, because you know, if you if you want to just if you're doing this just for the love of music, you can just go out and do it for the love of music. You can. Right. You on the street and play, and you don't ever have to make a record. You don't ever have to do anything. You, you, you can, you know, that option was always there. It's always been, well, how do we exploit this? How do we uh, make money? And the band has always then had their internal question of, well, how do I do that and still feel feel good about this, still feel passionate about it, still feel right. integrity? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that hasn't changed at all. I, I guess what, what has maybe changed with that is that because other avenues of revenue have maybe dried up, that, that it just maybe has put too much pressure, too mm. much emphasis on the merch of the shows. You know, like right. they, 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 they feel it. They're like, you know, they need, you know, before it was like, oh, we got $100 from merch. Oh, awesome. That's great. Now it's like, well, we needed that $100. You know, right. yeah, that's maybe the difference. But it's the same general question of like, well, what do we, how can we sell this? How do we make a living? And that's why attitudes do change. Through the course of time, I mean, think about uh, you know television commercials. I mean, if you in the '90s in our the heyday that we've been talking about, if a band put a song out for a commercial, I mean, their career was over pretty much. And now it's like now it's like uh, what what funds them? Yeah, I mean, right. and, and it's because that too, because because people sat down and said like you know how do we make money off of this? And and at some point that. Avenue made more sense, and yeah. and people started exploring it, and people you know re realign their integrity or morals or whatever you know issue hangups that they had with the idea of putting a song in commercial and, and realigned it to what they what is more important. So it's you know so do you remember do you remember when Hum sold um, stars? Oh, for the I processed that because okay, so give you a little background. What? I talked I talked to Hum about that like oh on the phone. Uh, so um, so my other background is I worked at Sony Music for twelve years. Yeah, I gotta hear all this. You know, there was nothing. There's no story to tell, but it's no, funny you, that you mentioned. But you it. nailed you nailed the segue. Out of boy, I actually was funny. <laughs> that was a really good segue. I gotta give you credit. Out of boy, out of boy. You had me. You had me at the edge of my seat when the Hum came up. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, it, and I guess there's a little tag that maybe you would appreciate but you know no one cared at the time but um so yeah so i process i did royalties managing i had different roles at sony obviously since i was there for a long time but um one of the things i i handled every uh 
royalty from every TV commercial sync use that we did, the whole company. So everything wow. went through my hand. I mean, it was you know, it sounds more I guess important than it was, but um, they didn't pay me extra for it. But anyway, um, so. <laughs> Um, so whenever something like that happens, you know, I would know about it. And the reason why I had to communicate to the band is because the band was so unrecouped, and that we, we didn't even send they wouldn't even have like valid addresses for them, and uh. we didn't even send them their unrecouped statement. And I'm sure they didn't even care to to receive it. Um, so basically, what happened was when that deal came through is that uh, the nature of the deal required us to get their consent. And are we they, talking about Humstool? Yeah. And so did this actually happen? They actually sold this song to a commercial? Well, they, the song was used in a car commercial. I mean, they, they didn't really? sell it or anything. But yeah, no, this was... And it was in a, it was actually a nice commercial, I thought. It was a Cadillac commercial. It was that... It was that riff, and it sounded... And then, and then as soon as the announcer gave Weird. the tagline of, for the car, it then did that, um, like, this that car breakout car. part of Stars, you know, where, like, they, the, where it kicks in. Uh -huh. yeah. The real question is, when you turn your car on, does it return the favor? They timed it. I thought it was actually a nice little commercial. I think they anyway. did well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, Kudos to the commercial, yeah. Yeah, so um, so we had to reach out to the band. We had to like track them down and find them and say, hey, do you have permission? And to their credit, they were smart. And I mean, it's kind of now an industry practice. But they were smart to say, well... Because they're on recoup, so if they just said yes, the money would have essentially went to to Sony because it would just been applied against an unrecouped balance. So they smartly say, well, yeah, if you know we get half up front kind of thing. So now, so then I had to get all of them to like sign a uh. nine form and all that kind of stuff, and it, you know it just takes a while to do. Uh, but it was funny. So my little tag is when I was emailing the Lee singer uh, at the at the at the bit. Like, you know, when everything's all resolved and I, I'm sending, like, an email out just, you know, saying, you know, we're all good. I just do a little PS of, like, by the way, I thought the second album was much better. The second album that, like, didn't sell anything. I was like, oh, you know, I didn't say that. I just says, oh, by the way, I thought the second album was much better. And he just wrote back, thanks. You're talking <laughs> about uh, Downward is Heavenward? Downward. Like, no, that one, the, the, the one, that one's the one with the hit on it. The, the record that came after that sold nothing, and they got dropped from RCA, and that, and that was the, the tail end of it. But I think that record is better. That's kind of crazy. Cause that it, was a, it was a flop in general because, uh, like, I don't know. Wow. It's a major label flop, let's put it that oh, way. Oh, like, amazing. So, okay. Yeah, that record was the better record. I agree. Because it didn't have the hit on I, it. Well, yeah, well, I, mean, I, I don't know. I love them both. Those I love them both for different reasons, but I have to agree. I think artist, art songwriting, they really... Tapped into something really unique. So let, let's talk anyway, about, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Um, <laughs> We're talking about home now. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Gil, you're boring. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm totally joking. Uh, he knows I'm joking. Such a jerk. I know I am a jerk. He oh, knows I'm a jerk. You're gonna Gil. edit all that out anyway. Yeah, yeah. Gil's been working with me for a decade. He knows I'm a jerk. Um, oh, man. How does that come about? Like, I know that. Um, the the I'm not plugging I, I really I'm not but the band that I used to be in uh, on your label called the House Lights um, before that they were called Four Minute Mile and they had a song um, used on that show made on MTV and um, I wasn't on that recording so it, it had nothing to do with me it was their old drummer so it didn't matter but all the way down to that little tiny scale to a band that was on fake chapter records for a while, all the way up to Hum on Sony, 
getting stars used in a Cadillac commercial. How does that start? <laughs> does someone at Cadillac just go, dude, I love Hum. I want to use him in a commercial. How do we go about doing it? Like, how, how does, what, what is that process? How does a song get to that point? Yeah, so, I mean, for, for Hum, that probably is what happened. I mean, it wasn't someone from Cadillac, though. It was, there's either an advertising agency or what happens is, you know, there's these covenant jobs out there called music supervisors that no one knows who they are because they don't want to be known. and But everyone would love to meet one or be one because they're the ones that are putting placements out there. They're the ones putting, uh, you know, songs in Grey's Anatomy or whatever, you know. They're, they're the ones in charge of that. So somebody in my music supervisor might have been hired to buy an agency or catalog to say, like, you know, and then they give them cues. They go, all right, you know, we're looking for... Um, something that's upbeat, tempo, kick, you know, right here, and they're the ones that are gonna say, okay, you know, like I think this song would work, I think that song would work, and then they go out and say to Sony, like, you know, we want to use, um, and you never know how many songs it took them because because it happens all the time where, you know, um, you know, so we have a staff at Sony that obviously is fielding these calls, maybe making their own pitches, and and you know they'll come back and say, oh, you know, we want to use ACDC, uh you know, uh, whatever, and they come back and say, well, ACDC is 100 grand, and they go, well, we have 50 grand. You're not going to get ACDC, but how about, you know, this band that sounds like ACDC, you know, and then it maybe gets, you know, uh, uh, works out like that. So, I see. so something like Hum, probably, I, obviously I don't know, but it probably went down something like that, where, yeah, somebody was like, well, how about Hum? Either somebody from the RCA side who was making a counter, or somebody from the agency. And then once they lock in, then it's just a matter of, of putting the the feed in order. Um, now, as far as the house lights, you know, MTV works in a much different. Uh, you know, they just are looking for bands to pay nothing for their TV shows, basically. <laughs> right. um, so they, you know, so I had a relationship at one time with this woman uh, who was a music supervisor at MTV. And that was just me, you know, doing the normal hustle of trying to make contacts and reach out to people. And mm -hmm. I made a contact, so I had Green to Think and the House Lights and, um, you know, some other bands on my roster at that time all score a decent placement. I think you guys are, or for a I think they had the most, though. Um, I think, because I, I think not only MTV made, they were also on one of their other horrible shows, like Real World or something like that. So I think who, who was? From MMI. I think I had more than one placement. Oh, really? It might have, or maybe it was just different episodes of MTV made. I feel like they had more than one placement. Um, and it was just because I sent it out, the CDs, and she, I gave her the okay of like, yeah, anything on here you can use. And, you know, some, and then it goes to probably an editor, and the editor goes, all right, I'll put this on the, uh, in this background and that kind of thing. And I, I think, you know, it was ended up being decent money, though, uh, because the publisher side of it uh, has to get paid. Right. And so, so Kyle and John, uh, you know, for writing the song, got got a little bit something, something. Mm -hmm. And that's how how it works. And every day since then, I've been trying to get similar deals. And uh, you know, every once in a while, I'll score a nice uh, uh, little payment. Uh, more recently than not, I find people using it. Illegally, uh, we have to try to track it down. Like uh, you uh, know, uh, arms and sleepers. Uh, it was funny. It was a fan submitted. Um, all of a sudden, a fan just emailed arms and sleeper 
a Playboy video. You know, like you just one of those videos <laughs> that you go on Playboy. You, it's a five minute, you know, reel of some girl. Mm -hmm. There's music in the background. The fan recognizes, hey, that's Arms and Sleepers. I know that. <laughs> and luckily, didn't have shame to email us and say, hey, you know, I was looking at this video. Don't ask why. And, uh, <laughs> Don't ask why. <laughs> here's one of your tracks. And, and sure enough, it was just to let us know if we were getting paid or not. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, we were. So we had to investigate that. And I, I, I think we have eventually figured it out and got $500. Um, um, but yeah, that happens all the time now. So it's so you know you try so hard to get sync and placements because it's a great source of revenue. And was it somebody? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Can you hear me? You're you're fuzzed out. Okay. Right um, was it somebody who just took a five minute clip of a of a girl and put arms and sleepers over it, or was it actually Playboy? No, yeah, no, it was Playboy. It was on there. No way. Wow. So you got $500 from Playboy. And she probably made $500 in the first five oh, minutes of that video. I hope I hope they could afford it. That's interesting to me. I, I, I always wondered how that worked, if it was like a, somebody on the inside was like, I like hum, so I'm going to push to put them in a Cadillac commercial, and they actually it comes to fruition somehow. That's kind of neat. But uh, now I know a little bit more. It's somebody from the other side... Uh, farming them out and <laughs> trolling for it, you know what I mean? Well, you never know. I mean, it really can come from from that music supervisor or whatever saying I want to use Hum. Mm -hmm. and I'm going to find and maybe I don't maybe it will take a while for me to find the right project, but it's going to happen. Drive to the So at one point, Michael Gilligan goes, hmm, I'm going to write a book about yeah. <laughs> my experiences with, and you named it Sex, Drugs, and Cubicles, What I've Learned from the Music Business. And I'm not going to lie to you, full disclosure, I've read about three quarters of your book. There's not a lot of sex in this at all. No. 
No, that, that was that was misleading, and I'm pretty pissed at you about that. I'm gonna mail this back to you. I need you to, I, this advertisement, though. I, I need I need you to send me the sexy book. But mm-hmm. no, I, honestly, this is one of the funniest reads. I don't read a lot. I'm not gonna lie about that either. This book had me laughing out loud. I was actually texting you when you sent it to me. I was actually texting you some of the things. I was belly rolling at a couple of the letters you put in here. But yeah. I don't need you to rehash the whole book. If people are interested, sure. I'll have a link up of where to buy it and everything. But tell us a little bit about it. Tell us about the process as to what made you decide. I, I have enough interesting things to say. Um, I mean, you 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 in. You worked at Matador, you worked at Gig, you worked at Sony, you are fake chapter records. At one point, you just decided, screw it, I'm going to write a book. Go ahead and tell us about that. That's super interesting. I don't know a lot of people that have actually written a book. Uh, and I actually did like a, a mock article. Like, a, you know, kind of the start of the book was with an article that I wrote for Magnet Magazine. Mm-hmm. And basically what that article was was just me collecting the different emails and, and um, that I received from people wanting to get signed to the label. So I kind of just chopped it up and put it into a little two-page. And Magnet was all about it. They put it as a two-page color spread like in the middle of the magazine. They just liked it, and and I got a lot of feedback from people that I didn't know read the magazine just reaching out to me, uh, you know, people I knew and some people I didn't that, you know, that that was funny. And so I just had that idea, but the problem was I worked at Sony, so I had to wait it out. Your, Your review was really um, is a great review because that's all I was going for. I was trying to write something that somebody would read and just laugh and not even necessarily read the whole book cover to cover, but just pick it up and, read it and laugh and then put it down and then pick it up the next day, read a little bit and laugh. And that's all That's all it was meant to be. Um, and, and it's perfect know, for me because I'm hopelessly narcoleptic. I get three pages into a book and I'm like, I'm the tiredest I've ever been. And I just pass yeah. out. Yeah, so if I can at least get a laugh out in those three pages, and I feel like every page is funny in the book, and it's a very short book, because I, you know, but so I. So it's to, like, it's like more of like a memoirs of a guy in the music business, like just all the insanity that you experience, and kind of like quick, like or quips rather of that sort of thing. Like, is that kind of the style of the book or the vibe? I try not to make it about me, even though obviously there's some sections that. Are you know I'm telling stories about my life, so obviously it's about me. But I, I try hard to avoid that uh, and right. just tell a story or a joke or something that happened. And I have some great people that contributed a little, you know, like little guest mm. rights, um, people that I've known, uh, musicians, other people at labels, and we just try to put it together. Like it was meant to be a book that you could pick it, you can just open it up to a page and start reading. And you don't have so it's not necessarily a memoir kind of thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm, it's unfortunate you send it to the old hosts of the show because uh, I would actually read it. I'll send you my copy when I'm done with it. I'm almost <laughs> finished. He's he's got he's got one chapter in here that is a page and a half long called Bad Band Names, and he just wrote a bunch of bad band names. And oh, I'm cool. laughing. I'm laughing at it right now. Fecalized rectal sperm sewage and. Uh, pit bulls in the nursery. <laughs> Yo, pit pit bulls in the nursery. That's the name of this episode. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and you know, it's not all about fake chapter, and it's not all about gig records, and it's not all about Sony. But obviously, um, I had to, like I said, wait till I left Sony, and I had to have a lawyer read it over to make sure Sony wasn't going to sue me. Everything checked out, and. You know, it's just funny, and I, I and my favorite things in the book are definitely 
the letters from the bands. And and the one there's one thing in the book that I've been sitting on for like ten years that I just I, I every time I read it I can't stop laughing. And I've been and I've had it for years is back in the late nineties or something like that, back when people would mail you stuff, this guy mailed me a resume of <laughs> as a bass player. Like he's just a like he wanted just looking for studio work as a bass player. And he mailed me his resume and is the I I every line on it just cracks me the fuck I'm, up. It's I'm looking I'm looking for it. I remember resume. I remember reading that and I texted you about it because I was like I was like, I have to go read the rest of this on my toilet. Yeah. I'm laughing so it, hard. The, just the opening, uh, I don't want, you know, you really have to look at it because it's a resume, but just the beginning of it, it just starts out, Douglas Bryan Whiskey Man, ages 28 to 45. That's yes. just the start of the resume. <laughs> Douglas Bryan Whiskey Man, <laughs> age, age 28-45. I don't know what that means. Does that mean... He is I'm looking to play some classic rock with some guys. <laughs> oh well, he gets into it. Oh yeah, yes he does. He gets into the different styles that he can play, such as rock heavy metal hit music, mm -hmm. uh, some Rolling Stone material. Uh, yeah, I mean it's just like, like these. The, these are the kind of guys in bands that are looking for other musicians on Craigslist. That's that's what. Yeah, this sounds but like. but but he actually took the time to mail me. <laughs> This letter, so it also makes you think of like, like who else? Did, that costs money and time. Like who else got this thing? Like he That's did he amazing. just mail it to every record label? Dude, he wrote he wrote in the bot the bottom line he wrote actual appearance. Yeah, and he wrote <laughs> he wrote blonde hair, blue eyes, pretty face, and then and then Gil, you want to take the last line? Yeah, and he well actually uh, it's hair replacement. Uh, wait, wait, actually, what was it? Hair, hair replacement male. <laughs> hair replacement male. Oh, come on. Dude, I'm reading it. Joke. I'm no, reading I, it. I'm reading it out of his book. Fact, I've got to figure out what to, uh, what to do with the original. Like, I have it in, a, I have it in the envelope it came in. in you my, that, man. In my, yeah, because it's, like, so old, it's probably deteriorating. But those are my favorite things about the book, because things throughout the years of just crazy people. In fact, one of the chapters is... Some people are just fucking crazy or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just... Um, it was <laughs> I want to read this book. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, and, and, and the biggest uh, person, uh, you know, the big uh, uh, closer of that chapter was this woman that would write to people at Sony claiming that she wrote basically every hit song of the, tw of the last 20 years in her head, <laughs> and we telepathically stole the music. No, come on. You know, and I was unreal. And and you would think that that is complete oh. bullshit, and somebody's making that up. And then I was listening to Howard Stern, and Slash got sued by somebody claiming that he telepathically stole guitar riffs from him. It's probably and that was her. An actual loss. No, it was a different lawsuit. It actually went wow. to court. Like, that it was her, it was her boyfriend. Yeah, Slash had to settle that, like out of court or something like that. And it just shows you how insane it is. And I just collect. You just collect these. Just the, the, being. In Slash had to settle. Wait, I was just kidding. Thank you, Travis. I was just going there. I was like, wait a minute. Slash hold had on, to pay on. money to some crazy person. Well, the, I, the, I the mean, judicial system acknowledged this argument. <laughs> well, he. <laughs> I, all I know is that I, I heard Amon Stern talk about it, and and in and, and the way he's talked about it, it implied that he had to like make it go away. Um, well, I don't know what that meant. Right, right. You know, obviously he didn't. 
you know, he couldn't destroy he, him. He had her murdered. <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe, well, either way, he's paying somebody. He's paying either Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, it cost him money. It cost him money. It cost him money at the end of the Dude, day. Dude, if I was Slash and I had the money that he does, I would have spent millions of dollars to make sure that person wow. didn't get paid a dime. You know what I mean? But the, you can't, because he, can, oh, you know, God, you just so can't live your life like that when you... When people are trying to sue you, you have to just take... It's a restaurant bill. You just got to pay it and move on, you know? Um, yeah. But Unreal. it is... Yeah. No, that's but, hilarious. And that's, and that's the thing. Just being in the music industry, just being around it, just having people, uh, you know, ask what you do for a living and you tell them and then they just start fucking talking to you. Um, you just get <laughs> exposed <laughs> gradually to all of this... Um, information, and that's why I obviously thought I, you know, like the book that I wrote. Any person that did what I did could have written it. They just weren't smart enough to like keep the emails and keep track of it all. Um, right, right, right. I mean, that's all. I mean, because even I mean, just people. Like I said, as soon as they find out what you do, they talk to you. Like I was actually at, and to be fair, it was like a music industry type event. But I was just at this event the other week, and I met this woman, and. She asked what I did. I told her as the label, and she's like, "Oh, I'm a singer." I'm like, "Oh, great!" And now she's interviewing. Now she's at, you know, like asking the question. Oh, my influences? Well, I would say Cindy Lauper, and I, I never asked. I never cared. <laughs> my like, inspiration was God, and yeah. And she's like, "I would say I am a, a soulful singer, and and I have a new one. Yeah, I do have a new record coming out. And meanwhile, I'm just trying to get out of this conversation. Yeah, it's just like and, it's here." Uh, like, if I if I could put myself into a flower, I would think that I'm a, I'm a sunflower. <laughs> I'm a that's violin. the funny thing because you would say like, why you know like who gives a shit who I am? I own a label, worked at a, uh, uh you know, I worked in a cubicle yeah. at a label, um, and yet as you know, people still gravitate towards me as if I'm you know in that corner office. Um, it doesn't matter, and that's why it, I think it's funny because the industry just brings out such crazy, strange, good, bad qualities out of people. I don't know if other industries bring that kind of uh, craziness out of people. I remember the one part of the book that I read. It's been a while since I I, I glossed over this chapter, but it was it was some you were quoting somebody who basically said, "I can't believe you eat at that restaurant." Um, they 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 wipe their oh. they, they wipe their asses with the burger buns and they spit in your they spit in your beer and and oh, the fries are cooked in cancer fat and I, I can't believe you eat there and you're gonna eat there anyway and you put you it, like they describe the 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 record industries the same way where it's like they're going to rip you off they're gonna leave you in a dismal and they're going to uh, if they find a way to make money on you they're gonna make it they're not gonna share with you you're gonna be left there in a fetal position and you're gonna eat there anyway. And people, yeah, I mean that's actually one of my people just favorite. go charging, charging into it, knowing that it's gonna be a mess. I didn't write it, so I can't uh, take credit. Um, that was a right, chapter right. by the brilliant Sport Murphy. He was a great independent artist on Kill Rockstar label. Um, obviously, didn't get enough momentum to kind of break through that. So he was kind of going through his experience of trying to be of the artist, trying to kind of break through this industry, and that is a hilarious. Uh, quote about how, yeah, it's like, it's horrible. It's the most fucked up industry in the world, and absolutely I want to be involved. <laughs> right, right. <exactly. laughs> 
<laughs> I know I'm going to oh, get destroyed man. by this, but where do I sign? Yeah, exactly, right. Exactly. And, Unbelievable. You know, dare I ask this in ter- because of the internet, but is there anything you want to uh, get off your chest or uh, promote or anything like that? You know, speaking of getting it off your chest, with everything that you know, with everything that you've been through, everything that you've seen and everything, tell us one, this is such a dumb, like, almost morning jock shock kind of a thing. What is one thing that you still cannot believe you saw happen in the industry? Like, like I'm not talking like, oh, the internet ruined the... I'm, I'm talking like, this one band got a billion dollars for something. You know, like, what, what what's something that still flabbergasts you that you watched happen? Oh, well, I mean, the first thing that came to mind uh, was Good Charlotte. Um. <laughs> okay. Explain. Uh, well, they're yeah. They um. They're from Maryland, I think. So in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, there used to be this Millennium Music Conference, and oh, when sure. I worked at Gig Records, I would go and and everything, and because Gig Records was one of the only labels that really would do go full out for that conference, uh, and Miles Hunt, who I still put out his records. Um, at the time he was putting his on gig, he was with a band called The Wonder Stuff that was like a big major label act. And then after they broke up, there he was doing the solo acoustic thing, and he was on gig records. So he was performing, you know, one of the showcases at Millennium Music in Harrisburg. So I was there selling the merch, doing my thing. He played a great performance. It was over. After him was Good Charlotte, just the twins, and they would go on stage within the first song or two. I w- that I saw them, I just immediately said, they fucking suck and they're going nowhere. And so I still stand by my assessment. But you, the question was, what has flabbergasted me? What have I seen that has flabbergasted me the most in this industry? I think based on that experience, maybe the rise of Good Charlotte. Wow. Wow. I would have thought it would have been like some scandal or something, but man... Sometimes it's just bad music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and to, be, and to be fair to Gary Charlotte, there's lots of horrible bands out there and that have been more successful than them, and it's all good, and I don't have any hatred to them. But I, mean, <laughs> I love that you that said, that moment, to be fair to Good Charlotte, after you said, they effing No, but I'm just talking. saying is that there was, it, it, if I never, I, I, I would always hate Good Charlotte, but if I didn't see them before they were famous, I wouldn't have any, you know, pay no mind to them. But yeah. the fact that I the fact that I saw what I saw, and somebody else also, but their reaction was let's sign them up. That to me that's like to me the the flabbergast part of it. Like I said, I, understand. I mean, you know, I understand. lots of yeah, horrible bands out there, but yeah. they, they you saw, saw that, you saw the I, same you saw the same performance and said and turned your back and said no yeah. way. They saw the exact same set and said, next big thing. And said, like, yeah. And they're like, yeah. oh, the one twin has a little red dye. He's punk. Let's do it. You know, like, it's, <laughs> you know, like, it's unbelievable to me when I think about it. Yuck. Man. Yeah. <clears throat> well, how about that? There you go. Sorry to all the good Charlotte fans. If there's any good Charlotte fans listening, you unsubscribe from our podcast. I yeah, know. I mean, believe me. <laughs> I, believe me. Stop. Yeah, like I said, I can't be too hateful because, believe me, I know, <laughs> some 41 was much worse, but... Um, yeah, right. 
Always end with a strong joke. Yeah, there you go. But on boom. We'll put it we'll put in a nice rim shot for you. Yeah, there you go. Oh god. Yo, thanks for actually the best my favorite quote from about Sum forty one is my friend uh Shrey used to say, I'm ashamed to be an Indian with that guy in Sum forty one. Ouch. Yeah, what are you gonna do? It's funny. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on and joining us, man. I'm sorry for the uh, the internet getting fuzzy and weird, but uh, it is what it is. Hey, it is what it is. Um, well, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was fun, even if uh, yeah, sure. a lot of the conversation got lost. And uh, Travis, again, you know, thanks. Uh, like, I'm really happy that you found the book funny and you brought me on, and hopefully, other people will enjoy it. And as far as plugs, fakechapter.com. Arms and Sleepers, Mary Lee Ruhan, Kyle Campbell, a lot. Kyle Campbell, my uh, my uh, yeah, yeah my yeah, old he had, my old singer. He, yeah, he released a record this year, and I also put out kids music and other stuff. I, I, I my label's pretty damn solid. And, yes, uh, it is. Right on. Listen to this. And he's yeah. been, and he's been doing it since 1996. He got through Napster. He's getting through. He's getting through all the other stuff that everybody's complaining about. He's the Facebooks and the and the MySpaces and the yep. Yeah, I have MySpace. I have eventually got in a Twitter account. I've I've slowly adapted. Yep. And, um, but the great thing is the bands. I mean, when you run a label, you really don't get a lot of reward out of it. I mean, you don't make a lot of money. It's a lot of work, um, and you're always looking at the next thing. So you never have that. You can't ever be satisfied. You always look at the mistakes you made or like the, the what's on the horizon. But every once in a while, you will sit back and you'll just listen to that one song by that one band that you put out like a year ago, and you just say to yourself like, "Holy shit, I forgot how fucking good that record is." Mm -hmm. And yeah, to know that you know it's got your logo on the back is is what it's all about. You just those few moments that you get. Absolutely. I'm gonna put all your links uh, in show notes. Uh, when you when you go to listen to the episode, there'll be a bunch of links with like uh, the record label and music is fake and and a link to buy the book and everything. I'll put all that in there. Um, check check this guy out. I mean, you can you can go online and stream stuff and listen to it and just investigate. Turn a couple rocks over and look at what this guy is doing. Uh, Mr. Gilligan has been a a busy guy for a long time, and, and you, you you heard him. Just just be too stupid to quit. Just absolutely, but, you but know. Take, but take pride in that. Like, don't you know? It doesn't yeah. mean he's, he's not a stupid Listen. guy. Just don't don't quit. Just keep. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people in in our age group. You know, like late twenties and up to forty, whatever. That are like you know they remember that era the 90s they remember the cassettes and this all you know everything was physical copies, and you know they're always complaining that man I miss the old days I miss I miss when there was all these labels doing cool stuff and other the that's that is who people those are that's what this is about like getting those people to check this out and go look this people are still doing it you know mm -hmm. believe it or believe it or not in a world where Spotify exists there's still Dudes who are putting physical copies out and have been doing it since the '90s. And that's really, really awesome, and it's really encouraging for me as a as a band guy, you know, mm -hmm. as a musician. So, so it's great, great. Thank to you guys very much. Keep yeah. going. Yeah, man. Well, thanks again for being being on the show with us. All right. Well, I appreciate. It. I'll I'll be in touch, buddy. Thanks yeah. again. All right. Thanks, guys.
love you. Take care. Bye-bye.